back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. I got a cup full of super hot mate. If you guys don't know, I am an absolute connoisseur of yerba mate. Um, when I was living in South America, when I was 22 and 23, I got absolutely hooked on mate. Uh, thanks to all my friends down in Patagonia. And it is, uh, it's a good substitute for coffee, but um, you have to have a, a taste for it. It's definitely an acquired taste. But it gets me going. It warms the vocal cords for the podcast, and I love this stuff. So this weekend, um, I attended my first wedding in a long time since, uh, probably since even a year before COVID and quarantine started. My two good friends, Mark and Ariel Maltese, got married. Uh, Ariel is my two dogs, Sol and Segi's vet. So that's how we met, and then I became close friends with her and her now husband. They're they're super close friends of mine out here in Flagstaff. And um, I just want to touch on a few things. First of all, the wedding was in this beautiful, beautiful area. They're two, they're both climbers. So they climbed up on this beautiful spire overlooking Sedona, Arizona. And we got drone footage and stills and all this awesome stuff. And they had, you know, their close friends and family there celebrating. Um, And it was just a beautiful experience. And I think, you know, it really reminded me of a couple things. So first, you know, having been deeply in love with someone and you know, had this future planned out and having lost them, it's really easy to get jaded. And uh, trust me, I've, I'm, a, you know, I feel like I, I've been at points in my life where I'm jaded about relationships and about love. Um, you know, especially when you invest so much and work so hard and try and it just doesn't work out or, or there's, you know, two people. So you, you can't control another human being um, or you make mistakes yourself, right? You, it's easy to get jaded. And I think when you see two people, you know, go through their own set of challenges, you know, come out from around them and not that sort of marriage is the the end of the game. It's not, you know, there's plenty of work to be done after for 20, 30, 40 years, however long. Um, And, uh, but I think, you know, with with these two, it's wonderful to see two people I love, you know, be in love and, you know, tie the knot in such a beautiful area and celebrate um, each other and their love for each other. But I think it just reinvigorates your belief in love that like, this is what we're here to do. At least a huge portion of what we're here to do, sort of our purpose, right? To give back, to love each other, hopefully to find, you know, someone we deeply connect with or multiple people, depending on, you know, how you swing. Um, But, you know, I think uh, myself being a monogamous person and, 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 you know, seeing my two close friends, um, you know, just to embrace each other completely and have all the people they love, you know, celebrating them. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it just gives you this energy. You know, if I, if I could explain it, you know, you feel it in the same place you do when you experience heartbreak, you know, it's that same area. You know, I think for all of us, it's different when you actually feel that physical feeling, but you know, when you go through heartbreak, it's, it's very like heavy and, uh, you know, painful. And, and it's just like, it just weighs you down. And then when you see something like this, it like lifts you up. It's like the opposite, but it's in the same area, you know, it just breathes life into you. Um, especially when you care about the two people. So that was just, you know, just super awesome to see that happen. And I, I'm so excited to be the one editing the footage. We're going to, um, sort of premiere their little three to four minute, uh, you know, wedding trailer video at the reception, which is next weekend. So yeah, you guys get out there, go see a wedding or two. Hopefully it reinvigorates your life. Um, I don't know if every wedding's like that. I haven't been to a ton myself, but I'm flying out to Montana on uh, June 17th to go see my, to my best friends, Jenna and Dave, uh, get married. They've been in my life for 
nearly 12 years now. I consider them souls, godparents. Um, and, uh, yeah, love those two. And I know they listen to this podcast, so I'm excited to see you guys. I'll give you guys a big hug when I see y'all. Okay. Um, so this week we have an awesome guest, Casey Ryan. Casey is a musician and, uh, a mindfulness practitioner, a yogi, and uh, just a very deep thinker. He's based out of Phoenix, Arizona now, but he actually grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is in Northern Idaho. Uh, Casey and I met over Instagram and I first came across a video uh, that was sort of circling around of him. Uh, it was a cover he did of Mitchell Tenpenny's song, Drunk Me. And the profound thing was in the copy where I read the copy and it was um, Casey talking about suicide and about his experience with suicide uh, by way of his father. And the copy, you know, was, was very profound. And the sort of quintessential piece was that suicide is, is not selfish in most cases, although a lot of people think it is. And, you know, it was just a, it was just a wonderful piece of writing. And so Casey and I developed a relationship. We chatted and had been chatting over Instagram. And I, and I was like, man, you got to come on the show because I'd love to talk to you about this. Um, Cause I have, you know, experiences with suicide myself in my own life. And he agreed. And, you know, in this conversation, we, it's not just focused on suicide, but, you know, we touch on that with his experience through his father with um, brief, a little bit about my experience. And we talk about meditation, mindfulness, practice, music, um, plant medicine, relationships, you know, growing uh, as men, becoming better at relationships, you know, realizing our faults and our mistakes. And, uh, you know, when we've, you know, done things wrong in relationships and hurt others and, you know, how to rectify those, practice self-forgiveness, you know, a whole set of those things. Um, but I just really appreciate Casey coming on the show. Uh, he's a great human being. I'm excited to meet him in person, play some music with him. And it was wonderful to be able to chat with him. Um, and I hope to have him back on because we have a lot to talk about, as you guys will, will find out soon. So without further ado, Casey Ryan. Dude, Casey, thanks so much for joining the show course, today. I, for sure, man. I, and like you brought up, we, you know, I connected with you on social media, and and I think you probably came across. Uh, well, you, I know you did come across my feed um, with the with the song you did. I think it was a cover of, uh, man, what song was it? Um, I think it was a cover of a country song, wasn't it? Possibly. Acoustic, and, but you yeah. were talking about in the in the in what made uh, the song was beautiful. But in the copy, you were talking about your father and about suicide. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It was a cover. Would, yeah, cover of "Drunk Me" by Mitchell Tenpenny. Mitch, yeah. yeah, Mitchell Tenpenny. Yeah, that's a yeah. great song. Um, mm. And uh, you know, I, I really resonated with the copy because you know, being someone that had my own very uh, near suicidal experience, um, and I've had lost friends to suicide as well. You know, it, it, your 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 copy was just like you know, from the heart, super real. And, and really it was like, you know, if you ever did the gist of it, was, was, is anyone, if anyone ever thinks sort of suicide is a selfish endeavor, you know, mm -hmm. that, that they, they, they don't know what they're talking about, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and, and I really resonate with that because a lot of people, you know, that, that from the outside that haven't experienced, you know, being in that, in that part of life or, or, or wanting to leave prematurely on your own sort of, you know, uh, accord, uh, pe people from the outside will be like, well, it's a self this person wasn't thinking of others. You know, they weren't thinking of their children. They were thinking. And, and a lot of times it, I find that it's the actually exact opposite, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if not, if not like somewhere in the middle or something, but yeah. Yeah. And, and dude, since then, I mean, your, your post and your content, uh, I mean, everyone I'll, I'll link to Casey's stuff, uh, his music and his social media and the show notes, go give this man a follow. He's got some great tunes coming out too. 
and, and a wonderful voice, but I really resonate Thanks, with your man. writing, dude. Like, Thank yeah, you. of course, just, uh, you know, j- just, <laughs> there's a lot of musicians out there. There's a lot of musicians and, and a lot of people writing great music, but you know, you're writing some therapeutic stuff and you're, you're, you're sort of living these values you're preaching, which, which I really value. And that's why I want to bring on the show today to just talk about, you know, your, you, your life, your experience. I mean, uh, you know, if you'd love to share some, some, some experience with, with your loss as well too, that would be wonderful. But yeah, um, maybe start us off with like, you know, how did you get to who you are today? Like you, you were a very well-rounded sort of, you know, person into yoga, into fitness, like, you know, incredible musician, you know, obviously, uh, um, a man who's, who's very in touch, worked on himself emotionally, which is I think a rarity and, and becoming more normal, but has been a rarity. So like, tell us, you know, how did you get to here right now? Well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words, man. Um, I, uh, I, I joke with pretty much everybody that's close to me about how awful I am at receiving compliments, but it's, um, something that I've tried to be a little better at. Um, so I appreciate it, man. And thank you. Um, you bet. And I don't necessarily even believe that stuff about myself. Uh, you know, you said a, a few things in there about, you know, me being emotionally developed. And I think that some days I am, some days I feel like I'm still a child. So, <laughs> um, well, I don't know. So, I mean, like I said, I was, I was raised in the Northwest and, um, growing up, it was just me and my brother and my mom and my dad. And, uh, my dad was, uh, really hard worker and, uh, unfortunately happened to go through a lot of stuff when he was a kid, you know, he lost almost all of his immediate family by the time he was 20. Um, his mom committed suicide as well. Um, you know, just pretty much his entire life was losing people that he was close to and, and working. I mean, that's pretty much all I did. And then my mother, you know, she had her fair share of traumas growing up in her household as well. And, uh, you know, they got, they got together, they had me and my brother and, we didn't have like a lot of money or anything growing up, but I, I definitely felt that we were loved. It was just not necessarily the most conducive environment to like seeing love expressed to their themselves the right way, which obviously like manifested in itself later in my life. And I've carried those same principles with me through almost every relationship I've ever had. And you can, you can trace it back to seeing those mm-hmm. things. Um, when me and my brother, you know, we, we grew up and asked, you know, I was a wrestler. I played, I was a wrestler all my life, um, wrestled a little bit in college. And then I, uh, I, uh, played baseball in my life. My brother was the same way. And then I think that once we were out of, out of high school, my father kind of started feeling like he didn't have much of a purpose. Yeah. And, um, and, and during that time after him and my mom separated because she was, she got pretty severely into drugs. Fortunately, she's great now and has been for quite some time, but, uh, you know, and then we, we kind of went on our own way and I went to college, my brother went into his, his own thing. And then eventually, you know, I think my dad just kind of lost his own hope. And, um, and it made a lot of sense because I think when you, I, I don't have children, I can't speak for that, but I can imagine that once you have children, like that you, your purpose in life doesn't necessarily become about your own pain anymore, but actually like trying to raise somebody in an environment that's better than the one that you had. Um, so I, I was 20 years old. So this is, we're kind of up on 12 years now that, you know, since my dad, he, he, he committed suicide. And, um, that was kind of my first real experience with, with, with loss and death. And, and, uh, at the time I didn't really hold any resentment toward him and I, and I still don't, um, it was more so this sounds kind of interesting, but it was more so of feeling of relief that he wasn't, uh, struggling anymore. Yeah. 
So because of that, I, I got really invested in the idea of psychology and how the human brain operated. And um, from that point, I decided to, after I got my bachelor's degree, I decided to go on to get a master's and eventually I got a PhD in clinical interpersonal psychotherapy years later. But even during that school process, I wasn't necessarily looking inward as much as I should have. You know, I, I've always known about myself that I love a degree of solitude and a degree of isolation because I just, I feel comfortable there. It's, mm. it's where I feel the best, honestly, because getting close to people and fostering any sort of vulnerability and intimacy with people has just been hard for me. Through that entire process, going through school and like kind of delving into the, the very infancy of my self-awareness, I, you know, was in several different relationships. Um, fortunately, with some honestly really kind and amazing women, I don't necessarily think that they were the right person for me or I was the right person for them. But um, I learned a lot from those experiences and tried my best and not carried on to the next one. Unfortunately, I'd made that mistake many times. But um, mm -hmm. so around the time when I was like 20, 20, 22 or 23 is when I uh, started to get into the idea of, uh, of Buddhist principles and Eastern religion. And I started doing yoga and I uh, and uh, and years later, um, I ended up dating a girl who was a yoga instructor and uh, she kind of really fostered me to get into that more. And uh, once I started doing that and learning the principles of just looking inward for answers, as opposed to getting external validation from, from women or, or through experimenting with drugs or whatever it is, um, everything changed for me. It was a huge shift. And that's not to say that I was cured. If anything, that was the very beginning of the process. Um, so I, I experimented with psychedelics, which had, you know, which you've probably seen that I've shared, you know, had pr pretty profound impact on my life in a positive way. Yeah. And um, so pretty much since that time and moving forward, I, I've, I've done my best to come to terms with not only like the trauma that I experienced and, and more than that, to foster a mentality of never being the victim, of never being like a victim of, of what my circumstances were or, or what happened to me. And, and instead, like turning the lens on myself saying like, well, how can I, perceive this better or do something better within myself and then go into the world and bring that to other people. And to, to the best of my knowledge, that's the only, that's the best way forward is I can tell my life so far. And, you know, cut to around the time when I was like 27, it's when I started to take music seriously and, and, and see that that could be some sort of a viable career path if I chose to like put in the hard work to do it. Right. Fortunately it did. And, uh, with that, you know, my very small D-list symbolisms of fame that I had, you know, that kind of drove a part of my ego that I didn't necessarily want that much. And uh, with that came more attention and, and, and more pretty like insincere validation about who I was. And I had, a, I've struggled with, you know, identity crisis with, with that for a long time too, just figuring out my way through all of that. And um, pretty much since then, and I, you know, after, so, so basically, Long answer short, sorry, very long-winded answer, but- It's all good, uh, this is, a, this is but, what it's about. But the long and the short of it is, you know, I, through all of the, the deaths and mistakes that I've made and the hurt that I've been subject to, the hurt that I've inflicted, um, I, I've just really tried to do my best to understand that like, just take radical self-responsibility for like what I've done and like what's happened to me and like shoulder that noble burden in a way that um, I can hopefully try to express to other people. And by the way, I'm, I'm by no means there by any means, but I've, I've done my best to 
well, not always done my best, but I've, I've tried, especially in more recent years to do my best to just be honest about who I am and be open about it. And, and, and kind of like what you were saying earlier, not just like posting on social media and not trying to embody that. Right. Cause there's a lot of that. So, uh, yeah. And here I am now I'm 31 and, uh, like I said, still searching for these answers and still trying to figure out my way through the world. But I think that I have a lot more tools at my disposal now than I did compared to when I was growing up or a young adult. And I'm just constantly learning and constantly being a student, you know? Yeah, I can tell the way you think too is very, it's very similar to me. It's where you'll say something, you'll be like, well, actually, no, not all the time. Like I, I've tried my best, you know, recently, <laughs> yeah. you know, cause yeah. I catch myself with that a lot. And I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I feel like I'm in the very simple, uh, same position. So I'm 31 as well. And very much so, you know, I've been quite aware the majority of my life, but I feel like the older I get, the more I read, the more therapy I attend or the more things I learn, the more I can easily admit I was wrong and I don't know, you know, and those yeah. are two things that we don't hear in society. Dude, that's, very so, often. that's so important, man. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically yeah. for men, I think too, you know, I think that as men, we're, we're really taught at a young age, you know, to sort of just, you got to like have your shit dialed and, you know, squared away. And like, you know, it, it, there's not really a like, yeah, you, it's all right to admit you're wrong or you don't know, you know, and yeah. I think we, we sort of need to change that. And there needs to be more radical accountability, you know, with compassion too. Cause mm -hmm. uh, you know, I found myself and you've probably done this too, where I'm, I hold myself to such a high standard of accountability it can destroy me just as bad as if, if I were just, you know, yes. you know, fucking up all the time. Yeah. yeah um, you, you posted something, I think to your story earlier today about showing compassion for yourself. And I am fucking awful at that, dude. Like I'm, yeah, I'm the worst. I didn't know if I could swear. Sorry, man. Oh yeah, uh, dude. But, You're okay, good cool. to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I want to get better at too. But um, no, I, no, I, I agree with everything you said, man. And I, and I think to just further that point, I mean, I think that that's like the aspect of, shadow masculinity that you know that that's what toxic masculinity I, I hate that term but like that's like too. Yeah. that's like what if you're going to have something that's toxic and masculinity that's what it is and i i read this book a few months ago that had a very profound impact on me too called king warrior magician lover and it talks about how like the world actually needs more of the positive masculine than it does yeah. the negative like the the courageous man the honest man the brave man the the one who's willing to admit when he's wrong or like what you said, just say, I don't know. Yeah. But, but so many people, I think, especially, I don't want to say just men, but I think it's more of a prevalent thing kind of, kind of what you were talking about for men to always have an answer right. and, right. uh, or just people like everybody else, you know, and, and I don't know so many things, you yeah. know, but. Yes, sir. I, I completely agree. And I didn't mean just to bring up men. I think this exists for both sexes, but I think when we talk about it in our world today, you know, I see it, it just, become more normalized with men to just, you know, sort of, mm -hmm. if you don't know, make something up, you know, or act like yeah. you know something. Yeah. You know? Fake it till you make it. Yeah. It's yes, exactly. Yeah. So from, from losing your father, like that was, that was your, was that your first experience with losing someone to suicide? Close um, to you? yes. Uh, okay. I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've experienced a lot of death. Um, yeah. ones that I didn't really touch on there, but I mean, that's whole nother, I don't know. Just, that's, that's another wormhole and we can get into sure. it maybe eventually, but it was my first experience with suicide. Yes. Especially, yeah. And especially somebody close to me like that. And, uh, yeah. So what, like how, when, when that happened, when, uh, so you were 20, 20 at the 20, time. Yeah. yeah. You know, from, from your, from how you perceive it today versus how you perceive it when it happened, like, do you think it affected your twenties at all? Like, you know, 
losing your father in that capacity or? That's a great question. Um, it's interesting because I never thought that it did um, until more recently. And it, it's, it's strange because I, I was talking to my um, girl about this um, and she actually lost her mother to suicide too. And, um, and it's interesting because sometimes when I talk about him, her and I have deemed this like booby traps. Like we, we deem it like you're talking about something all of a sudden you just get emotional and start crying. Yeah. Um, at the time, obviously I was sad and devastated, you know, cause I mean, you hear that and you don't really know what to do with it or how to process it. And especially, I mean, I knew that my dad necessarily was probably in pain and I kind of recognized that from a very young age, but I just, he just didn't, it never struck me that he would do that, you know? And I think that that's probably a pretty typical thing for suicides in general, but I processed it then as more of a form of relief. And even then I had like a, a lot of gratitude because even growing up, he was, I mean, he was always there. I mean, despite his addiction, like he was always there and he always at least tried to be a good dad. Um, but moving forward after that, I think it was, uh, I think how it shaped me mostly was just my perception on, um, on suicide chains dramatically. Um, and, and I started to, and I started to conceptualize when people choose to do that, that no one on this earth that's alive can comprehend the amount of existential suffering and pain that someone in that state of mind is going through. Because if you're alive right now, then you don't because you're not to that point yet where you actually do it. And right. I don't think anybody can understand that. And I think moving forward, it just gave me not only more compassion for people, but more empathy for people. And it just helped me broaden my horizons as far as like, you know, understanding that the, how suffering can affect people on such a deep level and to the point where they're hopeless and literally cannot see another way out, cannot think about anybody else. And I, I would wager kind of like what you said earlier, like that it is that they probably are going through that where they're thinking about their family so much, but they just don't have the capacity to see a way out of it, Yeah, you know, because they just don't. And, and I can't imagine what that's like. I've been extremely depressed in my life before and never to the point where like, it's actually a process of me like starting to kill myself, you know? Right. Um, right. But now I think having gone through like what I have and, and, and thinking back on it, it's more so something that I have a lot of gratitude about, you know, just, and not in the sense that I lost my dad, but just in the sense of like, you know, surviving the pain of it. And then also like what it did to me as far as like my worldview changing for empathy and compassion for other people. So, Yeah, no, yeah. no doubt, man. I, I would say, so I, I lost some, uh, some people close to me, you know, at a very young age, but it wasn't a suicide. It was a gang violence, you know, where I grew up and, you know, just accidents as well too. But, you know, my own intimate experience with suicide is I, uh, you know, I had a, uh, a really bad bike crash in 2019 and had a brain injury, you know, I was a full-time athlete and it changed my life. You know, three weeks after my partner at the time, a long-term partner left. And so I was completely solo, uh, you know, down in Tucson where I didn't live. I was actually living in Flagstaff. We were just down there finishing a van. And, mm-hmm. and I had, and I'm just going to cut to the point of the story is like, I had never experienced, um, you know, I, I've always had loneliness most of my life. You know, I'm very sort of, uh, solitude is something I, I practice a lot, but I definitely like to be around people. You know, I've noticed as I've grown that I need other people. And of course, people yes. that I love to be around, it's, it's essential, right? For connection. Yes. Um, but I think like at that point, you know, with, with, with the brain injury and having lost pretty much everything on my, like I lost this person I love deeply. 
Um, my dog was super sick and you know, I could, I couldn't walk my shoulder. Like I ripped all the major ligaments in my dominant arm has severe brain injury. Uh, you know, had really shitty health insurance. So wasn't getting the care I needed. Uh, didn't have the support system down there. You know, I got to a point where, you know, I was reaching out, reaching out to my ex partner at the time and she's just like not there, uh, in the way I really wanted her to be, you know, and, and since then I realized, you know, it just wasn't in her capacity to be the, that person. Yeah. And it was just sort of situational, right? I don't have any resentment towards her. I still love her very much, but my, my, my mental state there was like, it, you know, like I was, I was sort of feeling at that point that the world would just be better off without me. You know, that's, that's kind of what was going through my mind. Mm. Um, and you know, it really took two of my really close friends that were uh, living in San Francisco at the time, uh, Mary and Cody Pittman, they, they sort of knew something was odd because, uh, you know, Max partner was posting that she was running races in other, in other States. And they're like, Oh, people thought that she was with me. Cause they knew I, people knew I was in a crash, but I didn't actually release a lot of information because, um, the crash was due to a component mal- malfunction or mal- sorry, malfunction. So I had to contact lawyers and do all this shit while, while dealing with that health stuff. And so the lawyers mm-hmm. were like, you know, don't post anything, you know, we're going to have to collect all this data and run tests on the spike and, and see if we can prove that it was this component that causes this crash. Cause it's like, yeah. you know, ruin your career for in, in a sense for, for a year or two or however long their injuries lasted. And so anyways, these two really good friends, you know, kind of via their intuition sensed something was wrong, you know, reached out, um, flew out. And, and of course, you know, a couple of my other friends just had kids at the time. It's just like, they, they didn't really know what was going on. Um, you know, I wasn't super, uh, you know, with a, with a severe TBI at that level, like you kind of just, you kind of just become an infant in an adult's mm-hmm. body. You know, not that I didn't have plenty of emotional shit to work on beforehand. I did. I'm not <laughs> yeah, saying that, right, yeah. but when, when you hit your head that hard, you know, all those governors you've built up over life, you know, processing and working on stuff, they, they disintegrate. Um, mm-hmm. so the person is, you know, extremely difficult, I'd say, especially in my state to sort of be with. And yeah. Um, they came out for two weeks and sort of, you know, stayed with me, drove me to doctor's appointments, you know, cause I was like driving myself for a couple of weeks, which was a horrible idea. Um, took me to PT appointments, took me to MRIs. We went to all these things and that, you know, if it wasn't for them, I don't know if I really would still be here. Cause I got very close, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks there, uh, like super, super close. And mm-hmm. I think it really came down to, with my experience, I don't want to like project this on other people, but I think when someone feels so isolated and so alone, that, like you said, like their purpose or like, like that's gone, you know, it's, I think that's really a lot of times there's just so much pain and so much trauma or just so much, um, just such a gap between connection, you know, and mm-hmm. you feel so, so like disconnected from people you love or someone you love that it, a lot of times pushes people to that. And that, that's not always the case, you know, there's other reasons why people die by suicide, but I think more often than not, it's really like this immense loneliness, like deep seated loneliness. that's rooted to something, you know, some kind of yeah. lack of connection with ourselves yeah. or with others. You know, at the time, I don't think I had a lot of self-love. Honestly, I remember when I recovered my, my good friend, Matt, he was like, you know, he asked me this pretty simple question. He's like, do you love yourself? And I was like, no, not really. You know, and it's weird to answer that. Right. Because when I, but I answer it like legitimately, because when you think about it, you know, it's like, oh, of course everyone loves themselves. Like not really, because no. when I really thought about yeah. it, I was like, what about myself do I love? Like, oh, I, I've achieved this profit status. I can play music. I can do these things. I'm like, no, but actually like myself, like, you know, it, like, do I, you know, I'm like fighting with that every day, you know? Yeah. And I think that brain injury sort of pushed me to realize a lot of the things that I had been running from with the mask of achievement, whether that be athletics. Yes, dude, you know, that's so good. Yeah. F- fame, music, whatever. Not that that stuff isn't important. Like I still love those things, but I think I was using you know, especially social media in a way to sort of avoid, um, you know, really dealing with this giant gap inside myself, inside my spirit, my heart, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And it's not to say I didn't have good relationships. You know, I've been a very sort of deep thinker at a very young age and been pursuing this, but I think we can pursue it and still sort of avoid the, the real dark parts. You know, we can yeah. still kind of do that. And it's not, it's, it's, it's doesn't really, until you face those things, you're really deep shadow self. Like, like you brought up that term, mm-hmm. you, you just can't really get there, man. You no. can't get to like, you know, being able to be present, fully present. Yeah. Cause it's just always eating at you. Yeah. And you know, that's what I hear in your voice when you talk. And I yeah. feel like that's why I connect with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you said so many things in there that I agree with, man. And I, you know, it's kind of like what Jordan, like just to touch on what you just said, like Jordan Peterson talks about this, like do not hide unwanted things in the fog. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially the same thing as what you were talking about. Like face that sleeping dragon, face that monster that's under your bed. But the caveat to that is, especially with a traumatic brain injury, basically all of your impulse control, all of your normal cognitive function is going to go out the window. And then you're like, you essentially went from being this like superhero of a person to having this crash, this tragic crash happen to basically force you back into infancy, both mentally and physically. And you're just like working your way back up from that. And I can imagine, you know, I've been injured, but not to the point where it's like, I still can't do some things, but I can imagine that that's a very debilitating feeling. I can imagine it's, because like one of my biggest fears is not being able to move or do things that I love to do. And, and, and the fact that you've went through that and like overcome it, I think it speaks to your character a lot, man. And it's a beautiful thing. And um, it's, it's one of those things too, is like when we, we when things happen like that and, and all of us, you know, suffering is relative and it's subjective based on, you know, what, you know, we, we go through and how we live our lives and, and how we think about ourselves. But, I think that that's why the most important trait that a human being can have is self-awareness. Just just the awareness of your own fallibility as a human, your own propensity to be evil. And then also, not only that, the ability to express vulnerably and honestly and openly that to other people in the world. And it's not talked about enough. You know, it's, 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 it's hidden in the fog. Um, But yeah. Completely agree. And I also, I find like authentic self-awareness. Cause I mean, one of the things that I have a problem with social media and, and it's brilliant for many reasons is connecting with individuals like yourself, but there's a lot of like light and love stuff on there that um, is not really, you know, healing in a way. It's sort of just like, it's sort of like, you know, talks about, it talks about self-awareness, but it doesn't really like, it doesn't really tell you how to get to the point of practicing it. You know, when the cameras are off, when we're not filming yeah. ourselves, right. Uh, for, for a TikTok video for Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, before the internet existed, like, you know, the, we, we still have these issues, but it's exacerbated our disconnection. Cause, um, you know, I, I listened to some podcasts yesterday where this, uh, this psych professor, oh, it was a Joe Rogan podcast where the psych professor was saying he works in Texas and he was, he, for like the first day of his classes, he always asked his, uh, his freshmen, it's like an undergrad class, um, to hold up their phones and tell them, you know, uh, who, who has the oh, highest yeah, yeah. average for, yeah. you know, screen time. Yeah, and yeah. if someone's like nine hours a day, 10 hours a day. So, and he's like, that's literally you're on your screen the entire the fucking day. day right. Um, and, and I think that the self-awareness part, and I have to catch myself, you know, being in this world oh, yeah. too, is like yeah. scrolling through shit and being on it too much, you know, and limit myself. But, you know, I commend you for bringing that up because I think, you know, self-awareness is something I've really tried to practice, especially in the, the most recent year from my, from my separation, because I think in my own life, like these great traumas have kind of opened doors to healing. You know, I, I have a decision in that moment once I become lucid after the brain injury sort of subsides, whether to like accept the accountability for the mistakes I did make and change and like, you know, also give myself credit and, you know, for the, for the things I did do. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, one of the weirdest things about those injuries that I experienced is like, you know, the, the arm injury was debilitating. Like it never really felt better until I recently got surgery in this past September, but you know, I had a bone sticking out of my, my, my uh, arm until I got surgery. It was like my clavicle was detached, but, but like being an athlete, my body healed, you know, it healed on the outside pretty quickly. So people Mm -hmm. could see me like running, walking like, Oh dude, he's, he's like, good. But it was such a big trauma to my shoulder. Like I had constant chronic pain going up my neck, you know, and people can't see those things. And Mm -hmm. it made me very much more empathetic for people that have chronic pain Mm -hmm. because I had been healthy my entire life. You know, my mom actually has lymphedema. She has chronic pain, but you never know until you experience chronic pain, like what it really feels like. You're like, ah, it's just, can't be that bad, you know. Oh yeah, like and, suck it up, suck it up. You know, you're just right. Yeah, it's just yeah. that it's very like that, that masculine sort of response, right? And and it's not that I didn't have a compassion for people. It's just that I didn't have a way to relate to them because I've never experienced chronic pain. But being, you know, I was 29 when I crashed, and and being still that young and, and feeling that pain every day, and then also realizing my brain was was the slowest thing to heal. You know, although yeah, my physical body was like you know looks okay from the outside. Besides the bone out of my arm, it was like you know, my, my brain was, you know, my emotions and, you know, losing, uh, you know, my part at the time was, was incredibly heartbreaking because, uh, one of the things I kind of put this together during when it was happening, but I just interviewed Dr. Leaf, Caroline Leaf, like a couple of weeks ago. And she, you know, mm-hmm. is huge on TBIs. And she was like, the most important thing when you suffer a TBI is your support system, mm-hmm. you know, is the people around you, because you need help. You need to be, you need to have people have compassion with you, have patience with you, help you do normal things until you recover, which could be quite a long time. And I had, I pretty much lost everything like a couple of mm-hmm. weeks after that crash, you know? So it, it was like God, mostly yeah. by myself, you know, my dog was sick and, you know, I had to have friends. My friends thankfully took two weeks off their work and came and helped me out. So, um, you know, it's like, I don't wish that upon anybody because that, that shit, it just sucks. It sucks yeah. to do that yourself. But I also think it's sort of given me a little bit more belief and like, man, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I could go through most things now having gone yeah. through that. Um, and you know, it's, it's certainly made me stronger, but again, like if it weren't for other people, I have to give credit to all the people that did help me and support me mm-hmm. because I don't think I'd be here. You know, I don't, yeah. I really don't think I'd be here if they haven't reached out in certain times, if they hadn't, you know, picked up the phone when I was calling, you know, at midnight or 1am or 2am when I'm like breaking down, losing my, losing my shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened a lot <laughs> as yeah. I was recovering from this brain injury. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I, I commend you for bringing that up. Well, no, did you, and you said something, you said something that's kind of can be taken as a metaphor for something else too. It's like you said, the brain is the slowest thing to heal. And I think that not even just on a anatomical or biological level, but on an emotional level too, the brain is yeah. always the slowest thing to heal in yeah. everything. I mean, like every, every tragedy we experience, every heartbreak, everything that goes wrong. I mean, it, 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 it takes, especially if you're an empathetic person and you, and not only that, if you're not, if you're not only an empathetic person, but you spend a lot of time ostracizing yourself for the wrong you've done, you're not going to really have the best tools at your disposal to cope with that that well. And like, so what, what people like you and I do, and like a lot of people, you know, hopefully they're like us because I know that we're not alone, but is, you know, when you go through that, you just you isolate, you retreat into yourself. And fortunately you had friends with you that were there, just like you said, I mean, that's, that's, I'm really happy that you did. Right. And then, and then even, and then you said something else about like, you know, just going through really, really difficult things. And I think that that's, that's why, that's why putting yourself voluntarily through those hard things is so important because when the involuntarily hard, involuntary hard things come about and happen, you have all of this callous and courage and confidence built up saying like, no, I can do this. You know, it might suck for a bit, but at least it's not going to be as bad as my TBI. It's not going to be as bad as, you know, this ultra marathon run I'm going to go on or this, 
this right. crazy hike or whatever, you know? So I noticed that putting myself through those kind of things just prepares me for, so when things like, like, I mean, I had a death in my family like two weeks ago oh. and, you know, and, and when that happened, you know, it was my mom's brother, my uncle, and, you know, just seeing other people that you're, that you love so much going through that amount of pain, it's hard, but like, you have to, you have to put yourself through those things voluntarily so you can stand up solidly when they do, especially if it's not happening to you directly, you know, kind of like right. what your friends did for you. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely, man. That That's one thing, you know, I've always been, I think a person that sort of goes out of my way to help others, but even more so, you know, after people sort of helping me during this time, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just sort of central. It's, it's part of the healing process. I, I wanted to ask you a question though, like in your life, you know, how have you developed, like, what are some things you've done to develop self-awareness? Cause that's, that's mm-hmm. such a difficult thing, I think to toss out there because there's so many ways to approach it. But yeah. I guess with you, you know, what's worked for you? Yeah. I mean, probably the biggest one is, well, the biggest one started when I was young. And I think that that was just spending time alone. But that was, I don't know, I don't think that spending too much time alone is necessarily a good thing because, you know, you can go out of your way to be alone to the point where it's not healthy because we need human, we need some degree of human connection to be able to live. But right. for me, I have, I always had like an active imagination. I always spent time alone because I kind of had to develop that at an early age. And once I did, I, I think that for me, it was different because I, I kind of out of necessity had to have it. And I always have had some degree of that. Like, for example, like if, if, if I was ever at like a house party, I was always the person like kind of, I was like associating with people and talking to them, but I was always the person like taking a step back and looking around at the room saying like, do I fit in here? Does this feel good? And like, Sometimes I didn't listen to that. And then as I get older, I can listen to that more. So I think spending time alone and in solitude is the number one thing. The second one, without a doubt, psychedelics. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that, and I'll get to the third one here in a second, but like when I did mushrooms for the first time, it changed everything. And it was a really good experience. And I was mostly just like laughing and like looking at stuff. But what that substance allows you to do is, you know, it's not that you see it's not that the world around you changes. It's just that you see the world around you differently. And a tree just isn't a tree anymore. It's like something you can actually connect with. And I know that's a really cliche joke thing to say like, Oh, you can go up and hug a tree, but but like you can preach to the choir, man. Yeah. I I completely get it. Yeah. But you can, but you perceive everything differently. And especially if you, if you do it under the proper circumstances, the right set and setting, and especially out in nature, you can, you can come to terms with a lot of things within yourself. And those effects last so long i mean every i can recount almost every time that i've done it like and i I pretty much do it now like once or twice a year and doesn't even take because it doesn't even take that often for you to do it but what what that drug and other psychedelics like you know even like lsd or like mdma isn't psychedelic but it can definitely put you in contact with these things it's like you just you just uh, develop an appreciation for things and i think that when you're grateful and appreciative of things you can find humility because you realize that you're a small part of this big, beautiful thing. Yeah. And that, that truth in itself has changed every aspect of my life. The third being, you know, through meditation and, and yoga. I, I mean, and I know that that's people watching this probably now. I should fucking hit me, dude. Like, no, I don't know. Cause like, I'm definitely, I, I fall on all sides of every aisle. I don't, I right. can't really put me in a box necessarily, but sure. You know, I, I have found that that practice and that practice 
it, it, it's kind of, it does the same thing as psychedelics, but in a different way, because you're basically just sitting with yourself alone, focusing on your breath. And then you suddenly become aware of like, you're here right now. This is what you're doing and you're not doing anything else. And you can, and you can do that in any moment if you choose to. I, I mean, I do it literally probably 99% of my day. I'm like, I'm here right now. Like, this is what I'm doing. And it, that's not to say that I don't struggle with being present because mm. I absolutely do. But presence is the precursor to self-awareness, like being mm. able to recognize like who you are in a moment, who, what's going on right now, who you're with. And, and I, and I think for the average person who maybe, you know, you, you hear the term ignorance is bliss thrown out. And, and that's probably one of the most, I think in, in some ways, it can be a life that has a lot less stress and a lot less suffering. But I think ultimately we all suffer eventually from that. But, but so many people that I see, I just, and, and, and that this is not to say that I'm better because I'm definitely fucking not, but, but like, I don't relate well to most people. Like, I just, I, I just like, I don't like to go get fucked up at bars. I don't like to, I don't like to really get into like having, I, I don't want to have a fucking NFL draft. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I just way, don't, dude. I just don't fucking care enough, dude. Like, and like, yeah. That's not a judgment towards people that do it. I just think that like all of those things are a distraction from self-awareness because like essentially what you're doing is you're trading boredom. You're trading the beautiful gift that is boredom for some instant gratification of something that is not going to be conducive to your development as a person. And that's not a judgment. I'm just saying that I don't think it's the best thing to harness self-awareness. So um, solitude, psychedelics, meditation, but like if, if none of those things interest you, then I think that it's just, it, it has to come from, from making mistakes that lead to unfortunate outcomes too often, which is yep. another thing that I've done so many times. So it's been all of those things, but um, that's what it's been mostly like outside of the things that are actually beneficial toward garnishing and, and enhancing self-awareness. When you fuck up enough and you make the wrong mistakes and you say the wrong thing too often and you wish you could go back and change things. Unfortunately, you can't, but maybe that's a good thing too. Then you kind of learn, okay, the problem isn't everybody else. The problem is me. And it always has been. But, yep. And we can yeah. only control our problems, you know, cause, cause the other person awesome. might've brought their own problems to the, to the, to the party that, that you're that group or whatever, you know, but, but we are responsible for ours, dude. I yes. love all the things you just said. So the first part, solitude, I always find that it's a balance, right? Cause, cause mm-hmm. I'm a very solo bird, you know, and, yeah. but I've met, a lot of people, they consistently have to be distracted because of the culture we live in. So the contentment is a, you know, a, a thing in the air. We can't grab it. And, you know, we, we're always to be on our phones or watching Netflix or watching sports or whatever. Right. And I think that solitude, I think we need more of it than less of it. And not in the way where we cut each other off from connection, but where we yes. really sit down. I think a lot of people think of, think of solitude as being, as being alone time. Yeah. And it, it's sometimes it's a little different. Like, you know, you can be completely alone in your house, but be distracting yourself, be on a FaceTime call, you know, be texting. Like what uh, my therapist brought this idea. This was like eight months ago. Uh, and she was like, you know, when you, you know, when you're experiencing emotion, sort of it's a negative emotion or you're missing someone or you're going through something like, like, you know, what do you do in that time frame? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I used to sort of just reach for my phone and try to text someone, you know, or try to con- connect with someone. She's like that. That's not a, you know, necessarily a bad thing because, you know, you want to connect with someone, but also like, have you ever just sat with mm-hmm. what you're feeling, you know, have you ever just like felt where, where it's, where it's harboring, you know, if this yeah. is resentment or sadness or pain or grief or whatever, you know? Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, I had never really done that, you know, even, even practicing mindfulness, I had never really felt where it was proliferating the body. And so I think it's essential, you know, when practicing solitude to also like build up these skills. So not just wasting your solitude, you know, because yes. you can certainly sit alone and not get anything done. hundred percent. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I have done that a lot. Oh no, I have too, for sure. And, and like, that's, that, and that's the thing, like you, you said it perfectly, like there's a balance. And I think that like, as Buddhism called to this, the middle way is that balance between excess yes. and insufficiency. And, and I think that there, there's a big difference between being alone and being lonely. And kind of yes, like what sir. you said, we do need more of that. We do need more people being alone. Like, dude, it happens to me all the fucking time. Like, you know, I mean, you, you'll say to somebody, I'll say to somebody like, oh, I went and saw a movie. And they're like, oh, who'd you go with? And I was like, oh, I just went by myself. And they're like, oh, it's like, I mean, no, I mean, I actually had a really good time. And <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think it's more, I think it's more sad that people can't do that by themselves. Yes. It's like, you have to wait yeah. for you have to what you have to wait for somebody else to go do something that you want to do. And I mean, mm. Granted, and then this is where the other side of that is. I think that in the moments where I'm by myself and I experience like, you know, like this thing I do every year, like 10 peaks, 10 weeks. And I know that you're a hiker too. And like that feeling that you get when you're out in the woods alone by yourself, it's, like, it's kind of irreplaceable to me, at least. Mm -hmm. Like it's just that sound of just complete silence and you're just out there by yourself. You know, that, that is not only important. I think it's just, it's, it's vital to existence to experience that sometimes, at least once in your life. just. But at the same time, I really enjoy spending that with the right people. And I'm not saying just anybody because yeah. it has to be the right people, which is like over the course of my life, I've kind of chiseled away at my social circle. So now as I have like, you know, a few core friends, I have like my mom, I have my relationship and then like, that's it. And, and, I don't, yeah. and like, fortunately, like what's cool about something like this is like, I, I kind of knew like right away, just like messaging between you and me that like, we're kind of kindred spirits and like, that's cool that we can foster connection like this because honestly, dude, it's like hard. It's hard. I, cause like, I'm just not very receptive to it anymore. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so spending time by yourself is it's undervalued and, it, and it's looked mm. at through the wrong lens. Yes. The number one predictor to early mortality is loneliness, but there's a gigantic difference between because dude, I feel lonely sometimes when I'm in on a show and there's yep. 500 people in the audience and I'm just like up there, like they all fucking hate me, you know? <laughs> You know, so, so it, it just depends. It depends on your mindset and depends on what you want to achieve. But I think that, yeah, it's important to spend time by yourself. With, with your friendships, I'm curious to ask you this and then I'll, I'll have my response to it. Cause I've thought about this a lot. Like, do you find it harder to find men, you know, in our age group that are talking about this shit as opposed to women? Like, do you find yourself usually befriending <laughs> uh, women more than men? It's interesting. That is weird that you said that. Um, I, I've had this conversation recently and I think the the male friends that I have had, I've had for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for some reason for me, I can talk to women and, and I'm not even, this isn't even the context of me. Like I don't fucking hit on girls. Dude. I just don't like it's, I think it's creepy. I think it's weird. I've never been that kind of person. I just, I talk to them because they're just a fucking person. But um, when, when I, when I talk to girls or women, I think that for some reason, there's some part of me that can just like relate to them better. Cause I think that yeah. I'm more emotional maybe than the average guy. And that's, and by the way, that's yeah. not a brag. I wish right. sometimes I wasn't as emotional as I yeah, am, yeah. but I think that women tend to be a little bit more neurotic. I'm a little bit more neurotic. And like, again, that's not a, that's not a diss because everybody has it. But like, I think that, but to answer your question, I think that it's based on 
the environment that I'm in and like who I'm talking to. And, you know, I think what's interesting is I think the more that I try to be in tune with these things, the more I attract men that can talk about these things. Like mm-hmm. this is, this was a super random connection because like you happen to resonate with something that I said, I saw your profiles. Like, dude, this guy seems awesome. Like, and I think that that's where like connection can created, but I just think you have to be, you have to be willing to let yourself have it. But, yep. but most but I guess to answer the question more directly, most men that I meet, and this isn't a judgment either, it's just we're just interested in different things. Like I don't yep. I don't need to go get fucked up. Like, dude, I'll have I'll have a beer every now and then, like, you know, but I don't need to go to the bars every weekend. I don't need to go watch the game or my fucking life will end or <laughs> yeah. you know, um yep. you know, it's 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 just it's definitely more difficult because I just think a lot of and it's not even it's I don't even want to say it's like their fault necessarily. It's just the culture. The, yeah, exactly. It's just like, so it's so deeply embedded into our culture that like, this is what you do. And it's like, well, it's not what I do and it's not really right. what I like to do. So maybe if I was a person that was interested in those things that I would have more friends in my life, but I don't really care to have more friends. Anymore. Yeah. Don't, but. And it's interesting. Cause I mean, I grew up playing sports. I played three different sports in college yeah. and then obviously was a pro athlete for seven years, but I, I, I like, you know, I'm not against watching sports. Like if people do that, great. Yeah. It's a ritual. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. You know, but I just find it like, if that's the only thing you're talking about yeah. with your buddies, yeah. you know, I think that's the one thing we need to develop is men is just, is just more space to talk about real shit, to talk about, yeah. you know, a uh, relationship or marriage is going wrong or, or, you know, feelings yeah. change or stuff like that, like, like emotional things. And I think that I can relate to you is I, I think I've been, you know, more, uh, of an emotional on the male side, uh, emotional person than most. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't start off like that, but as I got to sort of get in touch with my, uh, uh, more so inner feelings throughout my adult life, you know, I sort of became more like that because yeah. I think it, you know, it just, I get in touch. I guess we could say like feminine energy. Yeah, if absolutely. we're talking about polarity, you know, 100%. just, it softens you a little bit in that way where, you know, I'm always been a fighter. I'll be a fighter my entire life. My grandfather yeah. was a boxer, but yeah. it, 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 it's sort of like, it's just, I don't need to like walk around with like that chip on my shoulder. No. You know, it's just like, yeah. I, I genuinely love other people. I want to get to know them. But in, as you said, like my time and my capacity is limited. So the people I do bring into my circle, like it's warranted. Like they're there because I have something to learn from them or they're beautiful, wonderful people working on themselves. And I don't give a shit if they're famous or not. I have a ton yeah. of social followers or don't have social media. Like I'm valuing the individual, the person because of what yes. they're bringing to the table in my life and what I'm giving back to them. You know, hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's what I see in you. So yeah, that, I appreciate it, man. And, and yeah. I, and, it, and it's hard to like, I find myself, I mean, admittedly, if I'm being honest, like I do feel like I sometimes judge people unfairly. And it's not that I necessarily say it out loud, but I say it within my head. But one of my one of my fucking favorite things in the world. Well, first of all, I'm not like I've made so many mistakes. So it's like I'm not one to like necessarily judge it in a way where it's debilitating to me. But like I also love being proven wrong. You know, like I think that it's absolutely possible to be the guy that's watching the game every Sunday and, and doing that and spending your time doing that. And also you can be that and you can also be more than that and you can be yeah. you can talk about this you can you can have a empathetic conversation with your wife you can and, and i think the problem that i see is i just see so many and i'm not saying that i'm one to fucking brag about my success in relationships because my relationships have been mostly failures but one thing that i have tried to do at the very least is just like 
is like listen to the person that I'm with and like understand their point of view. And I think that like so many people, whether you're a man or a woman, like we're, we're so caught up in the external and the distractions and just not being bored and not sitting with ourselves and like giving ourselves that time that all of that resentment builds up over time. And that's why you see divorces. That's why you see, you know, abuse in the house. That's why it, yep. it just all this comes up one day because you're not in contact with that emotional state. So anymore, my emotional state is very up and down. Like yeah. today, for example, I was in a great mood. Yesterday, I was sad as fuck for no reason. Yeah. Don't know why, but I just yeah. let myself feel it and go through it now as opposed to in the past where I would just get like angry at it. Sucked know? into it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. And I, I do, I really appreciate you bringing up like the listening. Cause I, that's something like I'm currently working on getting better. Like, I think I'm a good listener, but when it comes to relationships, especially when, you know, there's resentment built up, someone's hurt you, you know, and you're feeling in pain, you feel yes. wrong, shutting down and thinking you're right. And I think part of the thing I, I've really been trying to work on mentally, and I'm not in a relationship now. I haven't been in one since my, my ex-partner left, but I think one of the things I'm trying to build in my head is like, the ability to be in pain, to feel wronged, but also to be able to sit with someone else's pain at the yes. same time yeah, and admit that, that the two can coexist Yes, and part of a relationship and actually loving someone is being able to exist in that space between both of the truths. Right? That's so beautiful, man. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's easy to both be on the same train when shit's awesome. You know, you're backpacking, yeah. you know, you're, you're whatever, you're doing your thing, you're traveling the world. But then when you, when someone hurts someone or, you know, someone is, uh, you know, uh, lies to someone or whatever, you know, whatever things that pop up because we're human beings, we're going to make mistakes. And I mm -hmm. think part of what I love, what you say is that you admit to making many mistakes in your life as I have, but you're learning from them. You're really compounding yeah. this knowledge and these, this wisdom doesn't mean you won't make a mistake again, but it's yeah. bound to be different, you know? Yeah. And I think it's your current relationship probably is testament. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and yeah, dude, that, that is, that is so fucking important. and so true. And I think just the ability to, you said something about the ability to sit with somebody else's pain and dude, that's probably my biggest issue. It's not that I'm not able to do that, but like I take other people's pain personally, yeah. you know, and, and like, I've always been a fixer. Like I want to fix the problem right away. And if something goes wrong, I want to just like, okay, well, what's the solution? Like this outcome oriented thinking that just doesn't sit well. And that's not real listening. Um, I, I don't. I like to say that I, that I was a good listener and I, cause like, you know, in the past, I remember when somebody would tell me something that maybe they were feeling insecure about or something like that. And like, I would hear what they say, but then also, I would also hear it simultaneously, like it as an attack. And by the way, I still struggle with that. So it's, it's one thing to be cognizant of too, is like recognizing that somebody else's thoughts and feelings can honestly be just that. And sometimes it hasn't, most of the time, it has nothing to do with anything that you've done or that you're doing. But that's the, that's the hard part about love, man. It's the hard part about relationships are just relationships with anybody are hard, but especially intimate relationships. If you have like these things that you're constantly battling in your own mind, which is why I, you know, in a lot of ways feel some sort of sympathy for people that I've dated. Not that I've been like a horrible, I've tried my best to be like a good boyfriend. I mean, I've tried to not like fucking cheat on people. I've tried to not like, you know, do super fucking horrible things, but I definitely haven't been always yeah. the most like, I haven't been always the most present person. I've always had the expectation that the relationship's going to end. Even from the get-go, I've, I've, you know, I've struggled being honest about who I really am and what I really want because I don't want to hurt them. You know, there's, there's yeah. so many things that I've, that I've, that I haven't brought to the table that I could have. So I think that you reach a point at some point in your life, you just have to realize that you, you can't, 
it's either you're going to change or that's it. I mean, it's yeah. either you, you either. And by the way, I don't think that a relationship is necessary for somebody to, to reach peace. I don't think that that's, but I think that it can be a beautiful thing if both people are willing to do it and both people. Yes. And that that's where the work comes in. And by the way, it's, as you know, I mean, it's a pain in the fucking ass, dude. It's hard. You know, yeah. I, when people used to tell me relationships are work, I was like, I don't like that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I go to work to go to work. I don't want to come home and work, but this should be easy. Yes, yeah. exactly. And like, so when people say like, oh, the relationship's so easy, I'm like, yeah, well, that's good, but that's all well and good, but you got to have the fight. You got to have the yeah. conversation that matters. You got to have the vulnerable conversation. You got to have the conversation about like, hey, I was feeling insecure today, today for no reason, but I was, and here it is. So yeah. all of that person with all of their catastrophe, and all of your catastrophe combined, and like, hopefully, if you are honest with yourself enough and honest with them enough, you can reach a point where it's this beautiful thing. But to yes. get to that point, it's a lot. You know, <laughs> I think it's really important to find someone that meets you close to where you are too, right? Because at your level right now, you've done a lot of work as you, you know, and one of the things of someone that does a lot of work is they admit that they fucked up a lot. You know, that's one thing I see a lot is because they, you know, pe people that are like, oh yeah, I'm on this great journey. I'm enlightened and I'm floating, you know, and they don't really talk about the shit that they've done. It's like, dude, I I've done, you know, I've made mistakes. I've hurt people I love, you know, mm -hmm. and I've been hurt as well. And that's what's brought me here today. And I hear that in you. And I think that like, it's important to find someone you know, cause a lot of times I would struggle with like, you know, trying to get someone to be on my level. Not that I'm yeah. at a higher level. Any means it's just different. And so I'm like, you know, meet me here, please meet me here. And consistently it's like forcing someone to, you know, be someone they're not or to grow at a rate that they're yes. not ready for. Dude, that's you know? so true. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that I've ran into a good amount. And, you know, it's something that I've come to, I mean, I've been really hard on myself, you know, through this healing process of like, man, I really don't want to do this again. I want to meet someone and find someone, you know, really meets me on all these levels. And um, that I can grow with from, from that starting point. And because I've always sort of sought a partnership, not, not one where like, I'm the only one learning or the only one teaching. I really want yes. something where, you know, both of us can learn and teach from each other, you know, cause like yeah. yourself, I actually genuinely love to be proved wrong and to be like, oh wow, this person's making me think about yes. my predisposed biases or what's coming out of my mouth right Dude, now. Dude, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love that ability. And, and in a thoughtful way where it's like a challenge, you know, of course, cause you could yell at each other all day and not get anywhere yeah. and still be you know, on the other side, but yeah, man, I, I really, I really feel that. Yeah, man, that's, that's so true. And, and, and I, and I think it also speaks to just being more forgiving, you know, it, it yes. speaks to like just because the human experience is so paved with so much suffering as it is. And like, we inflict so much added pain on ourselves out of, out of ego or out of some desire to be fucking proven. Right. And like, I, I made a promise with myself a couple of years ago and I haven't always kept it, but I've tried, like, I don't argue with people anymore. Like I don't argue. I, I, I will listen to them and I'll try to respond. But like something that, that you brought up is like, you know, you, you want to find somebody that challenges you to think. And I think that's important, you know? And I, like I said, like I told you at the beginning of the podcast, I've had the pleasure of dating some very kind and beautiful people, like beautiful people that will have, always have an impact on me and always have like some piece of my heart and I'll always love all of them to some degree. Yeah. But I always, I did always feel that I was kind of the one like leading the relationship and like I was the one like making decisions and I don't, I don't necessarily want that. I want what you said and like a partnership to where it's like, we're doing this together. It's not like, yeah. it's not just one of us that makes the decision and like the other person's left feeling resentful, not getting what they want. Like, I don't want that, right. you know, yeah. but I don't know, man, overall it's, it's a, it's a difficult process, but I think it can be done. But at the same time, 
you know, I'm also not afraid to be alone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of that at all because I, I really enjoy being alone. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that you can still have human connection while being alone. I just think you said something interesting earlier about like how like you want the older you get, the more you want people in your life. And I am at that point, I think, where I'm reaching a, a more mature phase of my life where I do want a, a partner and I want to make it work. And ha- having said that, however, if it doesn't, you know, I hope I wish nothing but the best from them and I want them to be yeah. well, but like. But you're still grounded. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. That doesn't mean it makes it less painful, but like, I sure. know, I know I'll be okay. You yeah. You're, you're not avoiding the pain. That's, that's something I love that you bring these points up, man, because a lot of times, like we don't talk about the nuances. It's like, well, I'm grounded. So I don't need to cry because I'm okay alone. It's like, not that it's, that's not what you're yeah. saying. You're saying that like the world won't end. If you lose a partner, yes. you'll still, you know, like, you know, like I'm sure you'll cry. I'm sure you'll experience loss, oh, for but, sure. yeah. <laughs> but you'll, you'll be able to be like, you know, know who you are and, and, you know, dust your shoulders off and be shoulders off eventually and be like, you know, get, get back with your life and, and use yeah. that process as a learning process. And that's something that like has happened to me being a very, you know, in the past, a very codependent individual, given my childhood and my past, it's like when my two you know long-term relationships ended, it was like the world ended, like my world ended, like my worth yeah. was gone, you know? Um, and, uh, and I can really resonate with you sort of talking about your past relationships and, and it's not to like demean anything like that, but, but being in a one-sided relationship where you're sort of always the person that's kind of like, you know, like urging the relationship forward or trying to influence or invoke growth or, you know, yeah. those kind of things. It's just, it just at some, at some point the wick runs out and yeah. you have to find someone that's burning at the same rate. You that's, know, that's so true, man. That's so true. And, and I think that honestly, that's probably why all of my relationships failed was because like, yeah. I just met them. Maybe it was like the right person, wrong time, or maybe it was wrong person, yes. wrong, wrong time. I mean, maybe it was yeah. both. I don't know, but yeah, there was, and, and by the way, like, I love that you said that you've made mistakes and that that's an important thing to admit to, because it's like, you know, fuck, I mean, probably the way that I was leading those relationships, maybe that's just not what they wanted. And they just like went along with it. And like, that's, you know, that's, that's on me too. I mean, it's, yeah. it, that's, what's hard about it is like, you have to recognize that you have to be able to recognize your own contributions. And if you can't, then you're going to be left with, with, existential disappointment for the rest of your life because for the rest of your life it'll be they caused it it'll be that yes. person caused it this i lost my job because like not because i wasn't mentality exactly yep. just to bring that full circle man it's just and and so yep. many people are caught up in that perpetual victim mindset and i just have no yep. sympathy for that i can you can tell a lot about a person by how they talk about their ex you know yes sir I and, and by the way agree. like even if that let's just say hypothetically if that person cheated on you if let's say that person, I mean, God forbid, I hope this didn't happen to anybody, but like if they got beaten or whatever, and then, yeah. and then you stayed, yes, that's horrible what they did. And it's yeah. awful. And it, there's no excuse for that. But you could have left at any moment during that time. I have, I've probably been treated really, really poorly by only one girl. And even then I remember like, and even to this day, I will still say that like, I chose to stay with her. Like I yes. chose to stay in that relationship. and. Matter all the fucked up shit she said to me, like all the things that ended up happening at the end, and I just, you know, I could have walked away, but I didn't. And eventually, it had to come to like the worst possible outcome for it to end. And like that's, I think, most relationships is like it gets to the point where like you can't even stand the side of each other, and it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. Like right. you, you can you yep. can end a relationship if you have the courage to like talk about it and like be. Yes. And by the way, if they're if they're gracious about it, 
all the better. If they're not all the better, because then, you know, yep. you know, yep. yeah. dude, I, le- I, one of the things is, uh, Mark Groves, who listens to this podcast a lot, he brings up like his separation with his partner. This was a year ago and they got back together, but they just kind of had like a closing ceremony for their relationship. You know, they were separating. They didn't think they were ever gonna get back together again. You know, I, I could say, I wish I had those with both of my past partners, you know, um, the, the sort of space wasn't there at the, at the time, you know, but I think like you say, like it, it, it's you, you, whether you spend two years or three years or four years with someone like just throw that away. It's just, it's quite, it's quite shit. You know, a lot, sometimes it's unavoidable and I understand that. I'm not saying like you should always keep someone in your life depending on trauma, For sure. but you know, e- even things such as infidelity or, you know, I mean, it depends on like the abuse and the scale of abuse and, and the person, but I think that like, if at the end of the day, it's if both people want to grow, you can still have some sort of relationship. It doesn't have to be a friendship. It can just at least be respect for each other or because yes. there was love there. At some point you chose yeah. that person. Absolutely. At some point you chose them and they chose you. Mm-hmm. you know, that's, that, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, and you're continuously choosing them. Yeah. You know, that's why I say with my, with my past partner who I uh, recently separated from, like, I, you know, I'm always going to love her. Like she's a brilliant human being. She's a wonderful human being. Did she make mm-hmm. mistakes? Yes. Plenty of them. Did I? Yes, I did. You know? Um, and I think to get to that point and be able to admit that is part of the healing process. Cause I may never get the apologies that I want for certain things, you know, yeah. but that's okay. Like, you know, yes. I, I've forgiven myself and I've that's forgiven her. That's such a good point, man. That's such a good point about, you said like, you might not ever get the apology that you, that you want. And that's what closure is. You know, like that's like, you know, everybody ever, it feels good to, to whether it's weeks later or months later to have somebody that you once share something with reach out and say like, you know, like, Hey, like, I'm sorry for what I did too. You know, yes. but like sometimes you might not ever get that. But like what I love about what you just said is like, you're okay with it, you know? And like, yeah. you know, you, I think it's important to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think it's important to just be forgiving. And like, we just, we just have to, you know, because it's, it's, it's kind of like what you shared the other day with uh, Uriah Hall, what he said about like how hard it is to be compassionate when you don't feel like being that. And I'm not always compassionate for sure. I mean, yeah. I'm, I definitely still get angry and I definitely still pass judgment, but at the very least, I just try my best to, to understand that at the end of the day, people are just people. And we're all just trying to like go through this crazy suffering, weird, beautiful, tragic life together. And like, and you're going to get hurt, but like yeah. y- you can't cross the, you can't in order to cross the river, you have to swim or you'll drown, you know? So it's like, I don't know. And that's, and I guess that's the biggest answer you can get is like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what we're doing, but like I'm showing up and I'm trying before we get into the the psychedelics part, because I really want to talk about that with you, yeah, uh, sure. I want to add one thing is like in sort of admitting wrong, it's I've really tried to practice getting better at apologies too. Yes. You know, I think my entire life, you know, as little kids say, you're sorry, say you're sorry. You know, you take something, you hurt a little kid, say you're sorry. But we don't really understand like how to say sorry, you know, in a way where it, where it um, sort of validates the other person's pain, you know, because a lot of times, okay. especially in adult relationships, we'll, I'll, I'll be like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, like, you know, you're, you're, you're upset. And we don't really take a lot of accountability for being, playing a part in that role. So, you know, for instance, like I read Dr. Harriet Lerner's book, uh, Why We Won't Apologize. And it's a brilliant book, literally all on the fundamentals of humans and apologies and how we suck at it in a lot of spaces, right? Super interesting. And, you know, I just remember like reading it, it was like a year or a year and a half ago. And it really piqued my mind because I, I thought I was pretty good at owning my shit. You know, I really did. I was like, oh, I apologize for everything. And then I read it. I was like, wait a minute. I apologize. But then there was a but. 
or I apologize if there was a qualifier. You know, I'm really okay. sorry I did this, but you know, you were making me feel this way. And, and that, that might oh. not be wrong. You know, her okay. argument isn't like that. You shouldn't feel your feelings based on, you know, if you feel validated or whatever, but to really apologize is to sort of honor another person's experience because an apology is for the other forgiveness is for yourself, you know? Interesting. And so like, okay. like when we apologize to some, to someone else, they don't, they might not forgive us, you know, that's, yeah. that's up to them, but the yeah. apology is for them. And if we forgive, that's for ourselves because we're you know, practicing forgiveness that's, of letting go. That's an interesting concept, Manny. And that's definitely something I'll, I'll start toying with more because yeah, that's a, that's a good point about, I think kind of what you're, you're speaking of about is more like empathetic apologies as opposed yes. to just like, as opposed to like saying sorry and it feeling like good to say sorry for you, which it definitely yeah. can still, but like, yeah, saying sorry for them. That's an issue. Yeah. That's, I, I like that a lot, man. That's cool. That's yeah, it. Cause it, yeah. Cause then why, why would say sorry? You know, it's like, cause it, if, if it's, if it's only for you, just like, just, okay, say, okay, I'm sorry. I don't, you don't have to say it to them in person, but you know, I feel like if the goal really is to alleviate some of the pain that we've caused or the suffering mm-hmm. that we've caused, or we've played roles in, you know, it's important to be cognizant of how we say we're sorry, you know, at least, at least from what I've learned. But yeah. so the, the second part to Casey Ryan's path to, uh, to self-awareness <laughs> is the psychedelic journey. And this is super interesting yeah. to me, man, because I've only talked about psychedelics uh, once and this episode hasn't um, launched yet, but I actually talk about my first mushroom experience. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm huge into Michael Pollan. You know, I've been a musician my entire life. So obviously, you know, been around drugs a lot, but I actually never have done psychedelics until, uh, about a year and a half ago. That was like oh, my first wow, experience. Dude. Awesome. Yeah, dude, late, late bloomer. Um, but, but not, not to judge myself, but I'm just oh, like, no. dude, you know, I honestly, here's the thing though. I don't know if I was mentally ready to really use it as medicine in my early oh, 20s. I, was, I wasn't either. Man. I mean, I, yeah, I, I did, probably would have taken it and lost my shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, you know, being a climber, being, I was always around it, but I was always like a sitter. So I remember uh, when I was 18, uh, two guys in my band, my friend, Andrew, and or actually three guys in my band, we, we went to go see explosions in the sky at the Rialto in Dude, Tucson. Fucking, I saw so, them in Missoula. Dude, yeah. they're amazing. So, so check this out for Dude. Andrew's 18th birthday. He took, uh, you know, some mushrooms. So did yeah. the other three guys. And, and I drove my truck around at night after we listened to the concert and they were sitting in the truck bed, looking up at the stars. <laughs> in Tucson, right. That's I mean, just so think about funny. like 18 year olds, you know? And so like, I was always very close to psychedelics, but never took one. And it wasn't recently until this past split up where I really started to get into the research, uh, you know, being a scientist myself and looking at what maps is doing with MDMA, mm-hmm. with psilocybin, with LSD, um, I mean, the stuff going on with ketamine yes. and, uh, I mean, there's, there's tons of things. Right. And, you know, I think that like combining these things with like CBT, with sound therapy, with meditation, with, you know, we have mm. so many modalities of healing as humans that we immediately just like go to a pharmaceutical or go to MD and not to say or that like alcohol. modern medicine or alcohol or, or pornography or whatever. Yeah. Right. Food. Like just <laughs> distraction food. Yeah, yeah. Sex dude. You know, fucking yeah. been there. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just like all these things. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't think like psychedelics is, is the heal all thing, but I think no. what it does is what you brought up is it can stop your like sort of incessant sort of beta wave thinking of like that all these things are wrong or like, you know, and just sort of like, it doesn't change um, anything outside. It just changes your perception of everything. You know, it yeah. just gives you like the full look at a lot of the dimensions instead of just the one we're stuck in, in mm-hmm. our day-to-day lives. And, you know, I actually had a really fucking nuts trip when I took these mushrooms. So um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, he's a little bit older than me, gave me these mushrooms. And the first thing he told me, cause I was, I just separated the second time from my, from my partner and I was fucking down dude, bro. And he's like, look, man, he's like, 
don't take these if you're having a bad day. Yeah, like, I was going to say ha, that. Ha, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he told me, he gave me the whole, he was a very good yeah. person. He's like, you know, you know, make sure you're, you're in a good headspace. Make sure you have a goal. Like, you know, being mm. outside is great. You know, I reckon I'm always taking them very early because it, you know, triple lasts for eight to whatever hours. And mm. the mushrooms he gave me, he gave me two strains, but one of them was the penis envy mushroom, which hilarious name. Um, but, uh, since then I Googled this thing, it's like one of the top three from like psycho knots, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. people that really trip are like this mushroom will fucking take you to another dimension. Was you know, it, Cause there's what, some mushroom. Was it the big one or like the little, like the little stem in the cap or was it like a piece of bark? Did it look like that? No, yeah. it was like it was like a, a big like sort of a fungi with like a bunch of little like heads coming out of it oh, it was okay, like a, okay, okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Gotcha. if you google like penis and mushrooms the photo will come up and so he gives me these and, he, and then he gives me these other mushrooms that are, he's like okay these mushrooms are like happy mushrooms dude you know you can take a little bit yeah. of this microdose and you, you can go paddleboarding these other ones he's like dude do not fuck around with these things he's like these are very strong you know if you're gonna have like a sort of very cerebral like medicinal trip it's this and he's like i would only take one you know and so, dude, you know, what did I do? Uh, well, I go home and you know, I think about it for a day. Yeah, dude, it's already getting there, right? And then uh, the next day comes along. I wait the whole day. It was like a Saturday and it's like 5 p.m. at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm feeling like, okay, but definitely I'm still, you know, very much lonely. You know, I'm going yeah, through yeah. still a bunch of stuff. I'm still in therapy at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking take some of these mushrooms, you know? So <laughs> just dive right take, in, dude. I love it. <laughs> take, yeah, take a little bit. And I'm by myself in the, in the house, you know, with the two dogs next to me. Take a little bit of this, this penis envy mushroom. And then, dude, I ate the whole thing. So, yeah. You ate the entire thing? The entire oh, fucking thing, dude. No. I don't remember how much it was, but I remember telling my friend, and he's like, dude, what? He was like, you're not, <laughs> don't ever do dude. that again. But, so let me tell you about what happened. Um, so, you know, hour goes by you know, and then I'm just like out. So I like, I remember a good amount of it. You know, um, I went right back into my childhood. It was crazy. I like saw my nine-year-old self sitting down in my room, you know, when I was growing up down in Tucson, like crying in the corner. And I was like remembering like what I was feeling in those moments, you know, saw each of my relationships, like, like, uh, you know, the crazy thing is like, I, I, dude, I spent eight hours crying, literally like, you know, I was tripping, but I was crying out going on this journey in my wow. bed and my two dogs got very worried. They're like, you know, cause they, they can tell yeah, what's yeah. up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I remember like, they both jumped up on the bed and they don't ever sleep on the bed during the summer. Cause it's very hot. And they like both like just nuzzled laid right on top of me. And we're like, it was weird because as I was experiencing this, like I felt their warmth. And so I felt like this sort of like, uh, I don't know, very protected nature of wow, them, you know, because you're yeah. kind of in two different worlds. You're like tripping, but you are aware of like, yeah. you're still alive, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, for yeah. people that haven't done psychedelics and, um, e- you know, and those, for those who have, maybe this is a junior experience, but oh, you no, know, it, no. it, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. You know, I think that the, the takeaway from that, cause my friend was like, um, dude, like, do you think you have a bad trip? And I was like, no, I actually wouldn't call it a bad trip. Like I spent eight hours crying and seen a bunch of shit that yeah. I have seen, but it really, I, I looked at it even more, you know? Yeah. And there was this big release after I came out of it. Not that I'm done with that sort of healing, but mm-hmm. it really sort of allowed me to be like, this is okay. Like this is, a, yes. this is, these are human experiences you're having, yeah. you know? Like yeah. you are not alone in this suffering. You are not alone in making mm-hmm. these mistakes. You are not alone in someone causing pain to you, you know, like other people go through this. It doesn't dilute your experience. It's not to undermine your experience, but it's to understand that we are all connected, you know? And like, um, I did this at night. I really, you know, the, I haven't done that many mushrooms since, you know, I've microdosed LSD. I've played with some other things Mm -hmm. as well too, but, um, I'm, I'm huge into sort of 
you know, psychedelics as a therapeutic benefit, as a use. And I think, you know, with Oregon, with Denver, with these different areas, sort of uh, Seattle, for instance, you know, legalizing it with the research that MAPS is doing, um, you know, hopefully, you know, I actually have a, a friend, Dr. Beth Dupree, she's a breast cancer surgeon down in Sedona and she, they picked like a hundred providers in the U S to, um, do this new psilocybin thing where they administer psilocybin to end of life patients. So people that have Dude, you know, so a diagnosis awesome. that is, that is really grave. Right. Yeah. But it allows them to sort of like, like be like at peace because they're so living in fear of, you know, because of a cancer or because of something that, you know, can't be cured or, or that they're, you know, always in the hospital. And so, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's it, the, the sort of healing benefits of plant medicine has been around since humans, like it's ancient, you know, civilizations years, have been yeah. using this stuff thousands of years, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you look at the Mayans, Incans, like you look at like, you know, um, like East Asian culture, like all over the place. Right. And yet we've stigmatized them, uh, you know, especially in the sixties and seventies so poorly. Right. It's like associated with like, yeah. like hippies and like this shit. And like, and it's like, yo dude, like you can totally use psychedelics and not use them with a purpose, you know, totally. Yeah. 100%. Um, and, and, and really, you know, fucking go down a wrong rabbit hole. But yeah. that being said, like, God, I, I've never experienced something like that in my life, you know? And yeah. then I, I will say that like, it's weird. I, I read some fMRI studies about the differences between LSD and psilocybin and how it reacts in the brain. Mm -hmm. And psilocybin is a very sort of specific area in the brain. It's like a, if you look at the MRIs, it's like this one little area. LSD, it's like lights up the entire brain. And it's funny that that's the way, because I feel that like LSD is like an up here experience. It's like a, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm in front of the train. I'm driving it. I'm like, yeah. okay, we're going to go over here. Whereas mushrooms, it's like, no way, motherfucker. You're in the back of the train and mm. something else is driving it. And you're just like, you yeah. know, you're just like on the track. So you don't know where yeah. you're going. That's just, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. The, the facts that psychedelics have been demonized, like they have is a fucking atrocity. I think. Yeah. Just like what sure. you said, the problem is I think that so many people take them when they're either too young, they take them at the wrong time, they take them at a fucking house party. They, you know, the one bad trip I had was simultaneously the worst day of my life and the best day of my life because of when it, when it was over, I was like, thank fucking God it's over. Yeah. Um, so you can have a bad experience and it's like, and you know, and, and by the way, I don't think that I think that everybody should do it once. I really do. Um, under yeah. the right supervision with the right people, just because of like what it can do for your anxiety, depression, PTSD, a number, a laundry list of other medicinal purposes it can be used for. But it also puts you in touch. It forces you. You don't have a choice in the matter. Like if you're one of those people who's like shied away from hard conversations or shied away, shied away from being honest about who you really are, that drug, and I'm like calling it a drug, but just for the sake, we'll just call it plant medicine, which is term i prefer which i appreciate you saying yeah it it puts you in that position whether you want to be there or not and it, it it forces you to face those things and like the thing is is like you come to terms with them and whether you cry or you have a bad trip eventually the chemical wears off and you're left with this like you just feel as though a weight has been lifted yes and yet something that has literally zero side effects other than kind of like the, what the title of your podcast is starving the ego um, I got to plug in my laptop here. It's about to sleep. And, um, all right, we're good. Um, yeah, many people will talk about ego death as associated yeah. with a psychedelic experience. Yes. Yeah. And uh, other than that, the side effects are next to none, you know? Yeah. I mean, but yet also psychedelic drugs, LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, they remain more illegal than cocaine. 
right. you know, which is, it just, it's so backwards and we've got everything so, so misconceptualized, but fortunately I think the tide is turning. And I think that like yes. eventually we're going to see something take that's something take its place of, you know, where we can start on a mass scale, at least trying to administer these things to people in a safe way. And we can see a massive change in, in the way that people see the world and like the way they process trauma. Yes, dude. Amen. One of the most uh, impactful studies as I read about MDMA with um, veterans, you know, a lot of veterans that have very severe PTSD that have tried every antidepressant in the book, cognitive behavioral therapy, everything, um, only to be left still with very severe PTSD where they can't function a lot in in normal Mm -hmm. society. Um, You know, I've I've been in these MAP studies where they'll be in a setting where uh, they have two therapists that they go to for about five or six visits. So they get to know their story and they feel comfortable with these providers. And then they administer what is essentially a mega dose of MDMA or psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically they, it's a therapeutic setting while administering this trip. So like you're sort of being led by these two guides and, you know, they, they have a lot of sort of uh, you know, they'll, they'll record these things and take notes and you can listen to some of them. And it's like, you know, these, these soldiers will be led to like this, this place of great trauma and they've never sort of been able to see it in the way they're seeing it. Well on, you know, or well, well on psychedelics Mm -hmm. and in the way they're able to take a different perspective, they're able to release that experience. And so it's no longer defines them. It's no longer a part of them. Yes. They had that experience, but it's not going to sort of delineate their ability to live their lives, you know? Yeah. And uh, a lot of them can walk out of there after one or two treatments and never have to use a drug again, Yeah, you know, and it has like a 95% efficacy rate. It's just, it's just incredible, you know, and that's just one of these drugs. And again, MDMA is a drug you can overdose on, just to be clear, like, yeah, exactly. Totally. It's, it's an incredible drug, uh, you know, psilocybin (laughs) and LSD, you'd you'd be really hard pressed. I feel like to, to overdose on those things, but MDMA for sure, because it's a methamphetamine. But, uh, that being said, I think it's a, it's a super important, uh, component specifically for certain things, yes. you know, like, like, uh, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, fa- it's a fast track, you know, like it's like, that's what it yes. is. I mean, it's, it's basically, you can take, you can, you can be a meditator or practitioner of yoga for eight or 10 years. And then you take one dose of mushrooms and you're like, you're there. And yeah. I'm not, and again, like you never arrive. And right. that's why I think it's important over the years to like, you know, the next time you do it, have a different intention and like, you know, be in a different setting, maybe, but a safe setting that's, you know, comfortable to you. And, um, the problem with the problem with any drug is they're, they're illegal because they're abused. It's not because that they don't, don't they can't have beneficial properties to them. And like, right. I, I honestly believe that any drug that taken moderately and safely and under the right circumstances can have beneficial impacts on anybody. Yeah. But, yeah. um, I, I, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that every drug should be legal. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not qualified enough yeah. to make that kind of statement. I don't know. Sure. But I do know that whether it's the powers that be or the collective media or, or the, the vast de- or criminalization of these drugs and the abomination of these drugs in the thirties, moving through the sixties, it's played a profound impact on like people's desire to want to try them because we have these preconceived notions about what they yes. are. And yeah. Fear-based, very Um, fear-based. My my best friend from back home, his name's Mike Allen, he just, he did his first proper psilocybin trip about seven or eight months ago. And he, before him and I would like argue about it. Like, and and, and he was like, dude, like, why the fuck are you doing that? We we were still friends. It just like, you know, but we, you know, we argued about it and like, he thought of a certain way about it and then he did it. And he's like, dude, like it changed everything. 
And, and, and I think that as long as you're doing it under the circumstances and the guise of having an intention, that's the most important thing, is just having an intention of why you want to do it. Not just, you don't just take mushrooms, oh, I'm going to get high. It's like, right. if you haven't done mushrooms and you want to try them, it doesn't get you high. Yeah. It does, it's not like you're like, it's not like doing a line of cocaine or taking a hydro <laughs> or whatever it is. It's like you, right. you're elevated to an extent where <laughs> you're, you're in a place you've never been. And that, and I think that that's the most important part of it is like, it puts you in touch with a place you've never been and like, you're never the same after. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the really cool things I think coming out of using psilocybin too is in a relational sense, like not mm -hmm. only just for a singular trauma or singular therapy, but with a couple that is mm -hmm. having trouble connecting or releasing trauma. For instance, if there's been infidelity, but they're still trying to work on stuff, you know, really like, uh, you know, I've read some anecdotal evidence where like, you know, They'll have a they'll have couples therapy with the psilocybin administered, you know, and that just like changed the game yeah. for stuff or family trauma, for instance, like you know, like a parent or a grandparent or a child, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like trying to you know trying to repair those bonds if stuff has been broken or if trust has been lost over years. Like mm -hmm. we're talking 30, 40 years of stuff built up. You know, it's a lot easier. Like you said, it's it's sort of a shortcut or a gateway to doing. 20 years of work. Not that I'm saying that you don't have to still put exactly. in the work. Yes, exactly. you do. Yeah. You yes. still got to show 100%. up and swing, right? Well, because you but, have to take, you have to take what you learned from that experience and integrate yes. it into your life. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And so just want to make that clear to everyone. This isn't like a, you're going to ingest some mushrooms and come out and you're going to be like, Levitating. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But, but, uh, I definitely am a proponent and, and there's so many ways it can help. And I do recommend, you know, if, if people are interested, like research it, like put in the time, yeah read the science. There is published studies on this. You know, you can go to PubMed, you can yeah, go to science. Peer reviewed studies, scientific studies, like saying the profound benefits. Totally. Yeah. Read that stuff. Read, re, you know, read what the therapist, you know, there's, there's documentaries, Michael Pollan's books, a great book. Mm -hmm. Terrence um, McKenna, you know, you know, Terrence McKenna is brilliant. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, his group is out of Australia, right? Yeah. Aren't they? Yeah. Well, his brother, I think lives in Australia now and he like, okay. has taken the reins of his brother's work. Gotcha. Yeah. There, I know yeah. there's a, there's like a research group based out of Australia that's publishing a lot of stuff, but mm -hmm. totally, man. And I, I think that's, that's awesome that you, you know, you can speak about it publicly. A lot of people like they don't speak about this publicly. Cause it's like such like a, I don't know, taboo thing, but it's really not. I, it's it, like, it's not dude. This stuff can help healing. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's this it, stuff can help healing, man. Like it, I share what's, I share what's worked for me. And, I, and if that is, it's not just like what you said, it's not just that, but yeah. it's, it's a very integral part of it, you know, yeah. for sure. I'd say the biggest things for me in, in my healing process has been one therapy two the people I surround myself with, because mm -hmm. uh, those are the people I directly try to emulate. So if they're, you know, healing, if they're open and with their mistakes, such as yourself, like that's influenced me and so using psychedelics, you know, I think that like, that's yeah. really just, it's cracked the egg open way quicker than uh, yeah. would have happened with reading 30 books in that year. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and by the way, the 30 books are just as important, you know, it's just, just as important. Uh, you should read yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Do, do yeah. that as well. Um, but, man, yeah. awesome. Okay. And then the third thing that you said, uh, I want to bring up is uh, a mindfulness meditation practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I actually got on that bus. So I've been on and off that wagon. It seems to be a consistent thing with a lot of people, right? You get on it, you get off of it. Yeah. It's like hard to stay on it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when my partner left in May, 2020, I, I meditated every day, or at least I would say sat down and attempted to meditate, um, Which for did. Almost, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. For, for almost like a full year. And, and of course, the more you do it, just like anything, the better you get mm -hmm. and the, the, the benefit sort of compounds, you know, I I've since fallen off that wagon and have meditated in like three or four months and I really yeah. want to get back on it. Yeah. Um, that happens, but, man. 
Yeah. But yeah. I do, I, I will, I will say like, I notice a stark difference from when I just sit down, even if it's for 10 or 20 minutes or five minutes, mm-hmm. like, and focus on my breath, breath work and just, you know, reconnecting my body. It, it just, you know, you're, I'm not as like tense or not as high strong if I'm having a bad yeah. day, you know, or something like that. And I think I wanted you to speak about your mindfulness practice and your meditation, but yeah. I have direct, you know, experience with it. And I can't speak highly enough about it. Yeah. So my mindfulness meditation practice, I started meditating probably, I would say, um, it's close to a decade now. And I remember the first time that I ever did it, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Like I got like pissed off. I was like, it's crazy. If you've never meditated and you've been interested in it, most likely your first time, you're going to get very frustrated because not many people can sit in a quiet room with their eyes closed and just sit there with nothing to do, especially nowadays. Um, and it was a struggle for me for a long time because so many things, I think people have a misconception about meditation, about how like you're supposed to just stop thinking and that's actually not accurate. You're, you're supposed, not that there's any good or bad meditation. Like I don't necessarily think, I think that you can improve upon your practice, but I think that as long as you're just, it's about the practice. It's about just sitting down and doing it. And that is part of the practice. Whether you have a 35 minute meditation, that's phenomenal. And you feel like amazing afterwards, or maybe you're going to feel sad afterwards, or maybe you're going to feel anger afterwards, regardless, it's about the practice of doing it every day. And that's the beautiful thing about meditation is that it's different every time. And, uh, for me, Um, I I try to do at least 30 minutes a day. Um, There was a point in time about four or five months ago where I was doing an hour a day, but it's one thing that I have, I haven't missed a day in a very long time. And it's one thing that I've integrated in my life for two reasons. One, with how much I have to be on social media and how much I have to be on a screen as it is, not have to, I choose to, but for how much time that I do spend on that stuff, like whether it's promoting music or doing my podcast or, or doing whatever, you know, it's, it gives me a break. It gives me like, this is time to myself with just me and my thoughts and we're going to, I'm just going to do it. And I'm just going to sit down and give myself that time. Another reason is it helps me sort through things that I'm, that I'm having struggles with, like whether I journaled about it or whether it's been an insecurity that's on my mind or something that I'm thinking about to do with my relationship or music or whatever it is, I can sit down for 30 minutes and maybe I won't have an answer to that problem or that or solution to that problem when I come out of it. But at the very least, I'll let the emotions pass through me. And by sitting with yourself and allowing the breath to consume you and you get those thoughts in your head of like, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? What do I have to do in an hour? Like, oh, what's so-and-so doing? Like, oh, shit, I didn't send that email. Oh, shit, I got to text my mom back. Like, all of those things go through your head. There's a practice that I do called mental noting, where when you experience those thoughts, you say, okay, well, there's that thought. And then you imagine the thought like a bubble in a pond and it's underneath the surface and inside the bubble is the thought. And then when it comes to the surface, it pops and dissipates and the thought is gone. And I try to make that a conscious effort when I'm having a really hard time getting settled into my practice and in my breath. Um, And and that's kind of what I do. And, And I can honestly say like, as far as, Mm-hmm. emotional control which is something that's ongoing but as far as but that's ha- that's what's had the most profound impact on me is my ability to control my emotions when i feel like doing something else i'm able to come like for example if somebody somebody like cuts me off in traffic or something just being like rude to me after a show or, or whatever it is like whether i'm just ha- i'm just having like not very good interactions with people i'm i notice that i'm able to just let it go a lot easier than I used to be able to let it go. So that's, you know, that, and that's, that's what I do. And 
And, uh, and I also integrate that into a yoga practice and mm -hmm. um, yoga essentially is a moving meditation. Um, but you know, it, meditation has benefits. You can carry it way off it. Like you can carry it into exercise. You can carry it into hiking. You can carry it into your relationships, into sex, into, into, you know, psychedelic experiences. You can, you can take it with you anywhere you want. You can always come back to breathing. Like that's the beautiful thing about it. It's always there for you to come back. Lovely, to. man. I, I completely agree. And you just yeah. inspired me. I'm like, I'm going to get back on this train, dude. Um, Cause I, I'll have like little bits of breath work, but it <laughs> is quite nice to have a ritual. You know, I, I on for a while there, I was getting up every morning and before I'd even run or work out, I'd meditate for 10 minutes, you know, it set my mental focus and, and I wouldn't even really need caffeine. Yeah. I would just feel clearer and I'd feel more present and I'd feel less tired, yes. you know, and meditating before mm -hmm. sleep literally improves your sleep quality. Like if you can like put your phone away an hour before sleep, you know, just meditate for five or 10 minutes, you know, get your heart rate down, mm -hmm. like breathe. It does improve your sleep too, you know? And so doing it on both ends. Um, but yeah, highly respect. And yeah. yoga is huge too. I used to do yoga a ton before I got yeah. into running, but then it was funny. It's like, so uh, it's like you should be doing more yoga when you're running, but I was running so much running full time. That I just didn't have enough time or I wasn't making enough time. wasn't prioritizing it. Yeah, dude, that is, I want to, that's why I want to get you on my, I want to talk about your running life too, because that's a whole part of your life. Yeah. That I really like to know about because I, it's just, oh, so I'd love cool to share, man. I have that. so many thoughts really on cool. why I was doing that. Yeah. And like, there was a bunch of beautiful things that happened, a bunch yeah. of blessings. And, you know, I definitely was avoiding a lot of things too, through that. But dude, I am, um, it's been yeah. so, so great talking to you, Casey. I want to have you back on. We have so much Dude, to talk about. Man. And you, For sure, you're, man. You're yeah, brilliant, agree, man. man. You've done so much work. I, I'm, I'm just uh, really looking forward to seeing, you know, how much farther you take it. And, you know, it's glad that I'm, 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 uh, you know, it's a blessing to have met you and have you in my life. And I want, uh, yeah, can you please man. tell people where, where they can find you? Where can they find your music? Where can they find your podcast? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, well, first of all, before I, plug myself uh i appreciate you too man and like it's, it's like i said it's very rare to you know it's cool to have like a kindred spirit like that's up in flagstaff and you know i i would love to actually meet you in person and you seem like an amazing person man so i really appreciate you having me on first of all um second of all um i host a podcast called the starving artist it comes out every monday um you can find it on youtube apple Podcasts, spotify anywhere you listen to podcasts it's there um on social media just at casey ryan music or just type casey ryan into google and you can find me anywhere so yeah and where can people listen to music at? It's everywhere, man. Um, Spotify is probably the big one. And then, you know, iTunes, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So, and then if you want to see a show live, just go to my website and you can find out my show dates there, caseyrightmusic.com. So, yeah. Right on, but, brother. I'll put yeah. all, that, all that stuff in the show description, guys. So in case you missed it, um, awesome. just go down there and find it out. But awesome. uh, Casey's been wonderful, brother. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Hopefully talk to you soon, man. For sure. Talk to you later.